Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week we check in on state lawmakers midway through the annual legislative session. While there's no official end date for Arizona's legislature, and thus no formal midpoint, last week was crossover week, which is when bills from the House and Senate get sent to the other chamber for debate. It's also a time when each chamber largely stops hearing its own bills, instead concentrating on the work from across the plaza. Coming up, we hear from lawmakers on both sides of the aisle and a political journalist about what's going on at the state capitol. David Bradley is the minority leader in the state Senate. The Tucson Democrat says there were a record number of bills introduced this session, but the decision by legislative leaders to stop regular session to work through the budget process could be interesting. I'm not quite sure how this is going to work uh, because some of the bills that we've sent over and, and have received have, have uh, financial implications. And if they're not included in the budget, does that mean they're all dead? Or, you know, what does that mean? <laughs> so I, I think I'm not sure that anybody has the absolute answer to that question, but that's kind of where we're at. When it comes to the budget, the Democrats, you all presented a budget this year. Priorities seem to be K-12 education, climate change, funding of water quality regulations. How was that received? Well, the the president hasn't rejected them. Uh, I was on a panel with her actually a couple of days ago, and she mentioned that you know the, the governor had his budget, they have their budget, we presented a budget, and she's putting them all together to see uh, what can work. Um, and however, she has not included us in any of those discussions. So um, I've told her kind of repeatedly that you know if you want a bipartisan budget, that means a bipartisan yes and a bipartisan no. That means some of my members agree with it and some don't, and, and same with hers. If a bipartisan budget means all 17 of her members agree and they throw a, a few nuggets our way to say, hey, jump, jump on, and if we don't, we get criticized for not, uh, even though they tried to help us or something. I don't call that a bipartisan budget. When the Democrats were setting up their budget and knowing what you know, which I understand is not always a lot about the Republican agenda, were there points you knew you could agree on? Yes. Yeah. And I think um, even with the governor's budget, probably you know, 70% or so of the bu- governor's budget we probably agree with, maybe more. Uh, because there's many Democratic ideas inside of it that we've been promoting for many, many years. And same with the Republican budget. There's some things in there that we have been promoting for years, um, and uh, there's our common ground. Um, I think the biggest distinction is going to become, it it will be whether or not um, they have uh, a plethora of tax cuts. If that's the case, then it's going to be hard for us to jump on board. What are some of the things that you agree with in the governor's budget and in the Republican budget, what you know of it since it hasn't been officially Sure. Um, yeah, the district assistance monies, uh, we've been promoting that for years and years and years, uh, and the governor fully funds. Um, the school counselors and social workers uh, almost tripling the amount of money. That was our proposal uh, a year or so ago. Um, you know, uh, bringing some money into um, the Department of Water, to uh, water quality, uh, to supplement their uh, staffing needs. Uh, those are things that we have been promoting for a long time. Um, and uh, the, the um, uh, Senate budget, Senate Republican budget, has a, 
a two and a half million dollar uh, removal of uh, teacher certification fees. Um, those are things that we have talked about over the years as well. So there's there's those kind of common ground things. Um, and what I asked the president to do is not put poison pills in each one of them, like has happened in years past, where we agree with ninety percent of the bill, but there's this, <laughs> you know, there's the expansion of ESAs, for instance, or something like that, which are the empowerment Department scholarships, scholarships right. um, and so that makes it impossible for us to to get on board. Um, and so I think she she took that under advisement. She seemed to uh, that was big news for her. I guess at least how she presented it to me. Uh, and would say that she would make an effort not to have that happen. About a dozen bills related to groundwater were introduced this year, regulation, data connect- collection in rural Arizona. They seem to be going nowhere. Is that correct? And, and why? Yeah, um, it, it is a little bit of a puzzle. I think um, uh, I think part of it is explained by the, you know, all the energies that went into it last year in terms of uh, producing the bills that we produced last year it took a lot of people, a lot of compromise, and the governor leaning on some of his own members to get that done. And that's um, the drought contingency drought con- plan con- you're talking about? Drought contingency plan. I think that there's some leftover pieces of that. Um, and I and there just isn't the consensus um, among uh, folks. Usually, you know, we say, you know, water's like Switzerland in Arizona, that everybody's, you know, that partisanship, you know, fades away when people are dealing with water. But I think the there are other divisions, whether it's cities versus the farmers or the ranchers, and those are significant still. And I think that's where therein lies the, the, the problems of trying to come to consensus. It's not so much a party issue, as far as I know, as it is uh, compel- uh, compelling interests on either sides of the use of the water. Does an election year make uh, this more difficult? You know, probably a factor uh, because people do, you know, it's the way of the world that some of those folks, in particularly in rural areas, get threatened uh, very directly about, gee, if you really want to keep the seat, you know, you're, you're going to need to toe the line with this group or that group. So that, that's a factor, certainly. We're talking with Senator David Bradley. He is the minority leader in the Arizona Senate. He also represents Tucson in the legislature. There were a number of questions at the beginning of the session about the future of who oversees empowerment scholarships, ESAs. That seems to have quieted down a little, but we know in the second half of the session, things also perk right back up that have been quiet. What's the future on who's going to oversee those ESAs, at least for this session? Yeah, well, we did pass out a bill yesterday out of the Senate. I don't know its status in the House, actually. Uh, that transfers the oversight to the Board of Education, State Board of Education, which seems folly to us um, because they don't have the infrastructure, they don't have the staff to do investigations or the or to have it monitored. So it's going to cost X dollars, whatever that is, to to set up that structure there. Um, but that uh, the bill did pass, and, and in theory, only for the eight children. The base of the bill was for the eight children on the Navajo reservation who are using an out-of-state school. Uh, but it, there has been uh, there was video just to put up the other day was at a Republican caucus uh, where it was mentioned that this was you know it's the old nose under the camel's tent thing and they said it themselves they said well we get this through and then we'll expand it next year and the year after so you know the uh, save our schools folks are responding to that and are going to put up another initiative and I think people take them seriously when they say they're going to do something because they've done it before and they'll do it again and they're going to do it again. 
So uh, we shall see. The governor has a bill up, or I guess the governor doesn't propose it, but he, he certainly is a strong backer, sure. uh, what people uh, call the stop bill, the stop orders, where if a judge deems uh, someone in Arizona is a danger to themselves or others, they can remove their guns for a short period of time until that danger is worked out. The committee chair refused to hear it. Is this one of those bills that's suddenly going to magically reappear at some point, or is that bill dead? Yeah, I, I think it's dead. But I mean, I saw something that the governor was at an event and and, and basically alluded to it being that he had he, he's throwing in the towel. Uh, so I would be surprised if it reappears. Um, he had assured us at the beginning of session. And during the during the interim, that there was still going to be a high priority of his, but um, it is the way of the world at the legislature, you know, where uh, we have this perpetual argument about personal freedom versus mutual responsibility, and uh, that's a core. That's one of those core things that we argue about in in various forms. And here's a perfect example of it. Well, thanks for sitting down with us. My pleasure. Thank you. That was Democrat David Bradley. He's the minority leader in the state senate. When asked why the legislature is stopping session to deal with the budget now, Republican House Speaker Pro Tem T.J. Shope says they did something similar in 2015 during Governor Ducey's first year in office. You know, frankly, it, it allows uh, uh, the governor's office and legislative leadership in both the House and Senate uh, to negotiate a budget without um, any one member maybe being upset about a bill or something like that to gum up the process, possibly even in a more damaging way that maybe the majority of a caucus doesn't want to even have that certain bill, but they feel like they have to vote for it in order to get a budget deal done. So, What's going to be the big sticking point this year? You know, I don't know that there's any one sticking point this year as it comes to the budget. I think that there are a number of, of things. Look, it's always a lot easier to in a sense, to put these things together when you have money in the bank, so to speak, right? The economy has been doing very well, and I know that uh, coronavirus has um, a few, some, uh, a lot of folks, especially on Wall Street, on edge. However, in Arizona thus far, um, you know, we have come in above our uh, forecasted revenue every month for the last, I mean, probably a couple years. Uh, so things are going very well here. I think that that makes it easier in a sense that you have, uh, you don't have to say well, what are we going to cut? The problem becomes, what can I get support on from 31 other members and 16 other members on on whether I want to spend more dollars and what do I want to spend those dollars on? Uh, you know, this is the final year of the 20 by 2020 plan that the governor uh, uh, pushed through a few years ago. So there'll be an additional 5% raise for teachers. Uh, there's going to be increases in university funding, our, our community college system as well. And transportation really does seem to be a big winner as we as we go through this budget process. The Democrats this year put out a budget of their own. How much does that play into the negotiation? I don't know that it plays in uh, overly well because oftentimes, in order to in order to play into that budget discussion, you actually have to be willing to potentially vote on the final product in the affirmative. Um, you know, so I've been here for for uh, many years, uh, eight, eighth session. I've seen it happen where we can, where maybe one uh, uh, of the members has a need in their district that's so high that you know they're willing to come and vote on a budget. In an election year, it almost never happens. Um, you know, surprise, surprise. Uh, people fall into their camps uh, and things like that, and and it almost never happens. That's not to say that there are some things in there, and I think especially on the infrastructure side 
that if you looked through every line item there, uh, there's going to be about every corner of the state that's touched by some sort of transportation infrastructure spending, including areas that are represented by members of the minority here. What's the relationship with the governor this year? He's taken a couple of lumps. You were carrying the sanctuary city bill for him, and that got pulled back. That was something he really wanted. What's the relationship between the, the top floor and the legislature? Well, I think, as usual, the relationship with the, with the ninth floor and myself is is always very good. Uh, the the uh, uh, members as a whole, I think, uh, do understand. We all have a, a part to play here. Uh, ultimately, you need the governor to sign your bills or sign the budget, and you have to have some give and take with the governor's office. That's the way uh, that things work in this place. We're talking with Representative T.J. Shope. He's the House Speaker pro tem for the Arizona House of Representatives. There were a lot of talks at the beginning of the session about empowerment scholarships and, and who was going to oversee them. It seems like where we are now is it's just been narrowed down to really deal with Native American mm-hmm. kids. Is that an issue that's just going to come back next year? Well, look, I think that uh, uh, that is an issue that is going to continue to be at the uh, front and center of a of of the education spending debate. I think that both sides see a avenue uh, in some respects to get the base of either side fired up about an issue. If we go back to the history of the ESA program, it ha- it was had specific purposes at each expansion. Uh, that it had, Native American students, disability uh, community uh, students, and others. I I foresee that that is the direction that the conversation is going to continue to go. What we have is Arizona residents uh, who don't have a school nearby that were looking to go to a school that was literally, I think, a mile away from them across the state line in this instance. Uh, These are still students that that are Arizonans, uh, so that was kind of the question there. It's going to continue to be front and center, obviously, because uh, Save Our Schools Arizona has filed a ballot measure, and I think that what they will find, look, they they were very successful, except on the reservations uh, a couple years ago in defeating the then-expanded ESA program. I think that what they will find this time around is that you're going to be asking voters, potentially, if they get the signatures, to possibly take something away uh, from students, which is always a little bit harder than stopping a potential expansion. We've got an ethics investigation going with Representative Cook. Last year, it was Representative Stringer. The year before that was the expulsion of Representative Shooter. To the people, again, outside the building, it looks like this drip, drip, drip of bad ethics problems. How do you explain what's going on up here to people out there? Well, you know, it's one of those things I get uh, asked about. I, I serve as the Ethics Committee Chairman here at the, at the House, although I have recused myself from the uh, Cook investigation. And for folks, uh, look, you know, you you serve, we have nested districts in Arizona. So I serve, you know, with Mr. Cook and representing Legislative District 8. I felt that that would create a conflict of interest for me um, uh, to oversee that, so I backed out of it. The functions are actually going as they should, in a sense. You find information out, it gets referred to the Ethics Committee, the Ethics Committee investigates, they come to a conclusion, and Mr. Stringer resigned before he could be expelled, in essence. Mr. Shooter, it functioned the way that it should have functioned. Uh, So the rules are in place already. 
And the uh, rules of the House and actually the state constitution are very clear. We can go ahead and discipline other members in, in some fashion, whether it's a censure or whether it's an expulsion with two-thirds of the majority vote. Uh, and we have done that. And I think that it has sent, I would like to think that it sends a message that we are willing to uh, take out the trash, I guess, if, if necessary. I think that the overall function of the building, as far as the members are concerned, because of the rules we have in place, really lends itself to, to uh, weeding out uh, problem children, if you will. Let's talk a little bit about the future as we're at kind of that midpoint of the session. We hope we are anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you want to cast the first uh, guess in the sine die uh, a pool as to when you're going to wrap up and what big things or seemingly big things might be left for another time? I have been saying Good Friday is a good stopping point. Uh, I think Easter is the second Sunday of April this year. Uh, and I've been saying, you know what, I think that's a, uh, that's a good uh, wrap-up day for Sine Die. We can all enjoy a, a meal and, you know, the Masters and whatever else we people do on Easter Sunday. But, uh, uh, you know, we get through that. I think that water is going to continue to be the issue that it's not because we're not doing anything about it right now. This is nothing has percolated to be ready uh, to do something. Those discussions continue. I can definitely see that being an issue that gets tackled next uh, next year or the following year. I think uh, transportation infrastructure is going to continue to be. Look, I, I'm running the bill for the I-10 bridge widening at the Gila River, but we have, uh, uh, I think, 24 other miles that need to be taken care of along that highway. Those are big things. That's, that's an interstate commerce issue, uh, not just a getting to work or folks driving from Tucson to Phoenix or vice versa issue. That's a, If you're leaving the Port of Long Beach and the Port of Los Angeles, you want to get goods across the country. All right. Thanks for sitting down with us. You bet. Thank you for having me. That was Republican House Speaker Pro Tem T.J. Shope. This week, we're getting a sense of what's afoot at the state legislature about halfway through the session. Journalist Howard Fisher has been covering Arizona state government for decades. He says he's not sure we're halfway through the session yet. The good news is because there's an election this year, there are a lot of folks who want to get out, get on the campaign trail. The bad news is that they've got a lot of extra money. The easiest sessions to do are the ones where there's no money, so there's nothing to fight over. This year, we've got, you know, $3 million for this bridge, $2 million for that highway. I want this. I want that. The governor wants a tax break for the for retired military. And so everybody's got their fingers in the pie. And so... Um, you know, as they say, from your lips to God's ears that we're halfway through the session, but I'm not holding my breath. The budget you brought up, and that's always the big sticking point as we get through, especially to this point, there's this idea that everything's going to stop when the budget drops. They're just going to do the budget. How well is that going to work realistically? Oh, it never does. Everyone has a going home bill. Some of them are money related. For example, Representative Noel Campbell wants to eventually double the gasoline tax. It's been 18 cents a gallon since 1991. Guess what that 18 cents is worth now? Plus, cars are more fuel efficient, yet people are still driving on the roads. So he at least wants a vote on that. Then you have some of the, the, the social bills, you know, should transgender women be able to practice girl sports? Uh, you have another sanctuary cities bill out there, this one allowing civil lawsuits against any city that refuses to cooperate. Everybody has something that he or she wants. 
And the thing that ends up holding up the session is usually something that nobody has seen early on. All of a sudden, somebody has some brilliant idea or somebody you know, has, decides to say, I'm not doing anything until I get my way. So it's not going to be the gas tax. It's going to be something we're not even thinking about at this point that's going to blow the whole thing. And that, that's my guess. And it could be you know, something you know, related perhaps to, to the coronavirus. It could be something you know, related to somebody's tax break. Like I say, you know, the, the, the legislature last week defeated Doug Ducey's bill to give a tax break for all military pensioners. He said just this week it'll be over his cold, dead body that we go home without that bill. And so, uh, you know, he obviously plays a role in this, too, and he's got his wish list. And there are 90 people up here, while only, you know, fewer than half of them are Democrats and maybe they don't get a wish list. All the Republicans have something that they want. You bring up the defeat of the governor's tax proposal. He lost on the original sanctuary city bill that he put that one and the tax proposal both in his State of the Union address. The stop measure for guns the governor has seemingly lost on again. Is he losing his mojo with the legislature? Well, there's a couple of things going on. This governor is not a broad ideas person. He is uh, what one of my colleagues refers to as the inbox governor. For example, up until the teachers went on strike, he was offering a 1% raise. Only after they were literally surrounding his office, they say, oh, I have this 20 by 20, 20 plan to give him a 20 percent raise over four years. Most of his ideas are negative. Uh, You know, I don't want more regulation. But even in terms of the things that he says he wants to do, for example, when he was running for office, he said, I want to drive the income tax rate to as close to zero as possible. What we've seen are little minor niggling things on that. You know, for example, we're going to index income tax deductions. So he hasn't even been successful on his one signature program. You mentioned the 20 for 20 plan. This year's budget will be the end of that. But that Red for Ed movement is back. They're trying to get stuff on the ballot again. How much of an influence are they going to play in the budget process? Well, a lot of it depends on whether lawmakers think they'll get the signatures for their measure. You know, the, the proposal would seek to raise more than $900 million on a surcharge on people making over 250000 a year, couples making over half a million. Uh, I think they'll get the signatures. Then the question becomes, can the legislature come up with something else, or do they think they can defeat it? You know, for a lot of people, I don't make 250000 a year which makes it a lot more attractive for me to say, sure, I'd love to go ahead and tax the rich people to, to put, put $900 million more into education. Uh, there are some other ballot measures out there. There's certainly the, the legalization of marijuana for recreational purposes. There is some sentiment among lawmakers to say, look, if it gets on the ballot, there's a decent chance it'll pass. If it passes, it's protected by the Arizona Constitution under the Voter Protection Act, which means we can't tinker with it. So are we better off crafting something on our own? Now, so far, it's been, you know, over my cold, dead body kind of thing. But I think there are a lot of lawmakers in both parties who are saying, if we want to do this and do it in a way that we can fix it later and tax it if we want to, we should do it ourselves. So that's also hanging out there. Are the Democrats getting a seat at the table this year, or was their news conference announcing their budget the end of their seat at the table? Pretty much. I think that to the extent they may need to go to some Democrats for some votes, I mean, there are always a few recalcitrant Republicans who will say, I'm not voting for this because it has. Sometimes they've 
I'll excuse the expression, bought some votes. You know, well, you need a bridge up here and at Cayenta, you know, we can put that in the budget and maybe get you to vote on it. But I think that the Democrats see themselves as the loyal opposition, and they're hoping to peel off the Republicans, uh, hoping to convince them that if you adopt this budget, it will hurt not just the state, but it'll hurt you at re-election time. And there are a lot of districts in this state that could go either way. You've got a district in Paradise Valley that is now represented by two Democrats in the House, whereas it's been a traditional Republican district. And that may end up deciding who votes on what. When it comes to the politics of all of this, as you said, it is an election year. The Democrats say, we can take the House back. The Republicans say we can pick up our majority and and push the Democrats further back down. What do you see from your seat having watched this since the 1990s? Well, part of the problem with this is so much of how people vote depends on the top of the ticket. We have President Trump on the top of the ticket. He got a bounce after the Democrats shot themselves in the foot or perhaps a little higher on the whole impeachment procedure. That's going to make a difference in terms of who turns out. You also have a very high-profile U.S. Senate race between Mark Kelly, who finally came out of the closet and decided he was going to support Joe Biden, uh, and Martha McSally, who has wrapped her uh, political fortunes, as it were, around the president. And a lot of that will, will, will go to the issue of turnout. It's going to come out to get out the vote. But the other thing that's going on, and we've seen this, and we saw this with the death of the Sanctuary Cities bill, the Latino community after 1070 decided this is how we, we got it shoved down our throats. So in the interim, they recalled Senate President Russell Pierce. They got rid of Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Lucha got a raise in the minimum wage. Uh, they elected, in some ways, uh, Kirsten Cinema. And if the Hispanic community continues to remain active and continues to vote, Uh, That doesn't bode well for Republicans. Howard Fisher is a journalist covering the Arizona State Capitol. He's on Twitter at AZCapMedia. And that's the buzz for this week. We're working on an upcoming special episode as part of AZPM's Arizona Addicted series, and we want to hear from you. How have you or your loved ones been affected by the opioid addiction crisis? What questions remain unanswered for you? What solutions do you want to see? You can submit your response anonymously online at azpm.org slash Arizona Addicted. You can also call and leave us a voicemail sharing your experience or questions at 520-621-5999. That number again, 520-621-5999. Your responses will help inform a special episode of The Buzz next month. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. And Duncan Moon is the interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.